Last week, I wanted to tell a story, but I didn't have time because the length of the sermon, so I, I, I decided to tell it this week. Um, in my pursuit of the season of Lent, there have been times where I've attempted to uh, practice the, the, the discipline of fasting, of skipping meals, and giving that time to the Lord, offering that to the Lord as a devotional, as a spiritual practice. And a couple of Fridays ago, I, was to, I decided that I was going to go on a fast. By the way, I would suggest you try it as well. Jesus said, when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast in Matthew 5. But nonetheless, I was attempting a fast, and I had gotten up, and I'm not bragging, you'll see in a second, but I had, I had not had breakfast, and um, I went through lunch and had not had lunch. But it was the day that I was going to pick up Jody after a, a luncheon that she was going to, and we were going to travel to Orlando for Charlie's first bridal shower. Charlie is our 23-year-old who's in the process of getting married. It's a long, arduous process. Bridal showers are part of that arduous process. Anyway, we, were, we picked up Jody, but unbeknownst to Jody that I was on this fast because, you know, you don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So I had not told her I was on a fast. My sweet, dear wife was thoughtful to me. And when she ordered her pizza at lunch, she got it cut in half and had half of it with all of her veggie stuff, and then half of it with meat, as the way pizza is supposed to be eaten. And when I, amen, right? And when I got, she got to the car, she, her eyes were joyful, she loves me so much, and she presented me with this half of pizza, not knowing that I was in a day of fasting. <laughs> she didn't tell me it was gluten-free. It was, it was delicious. I see, I told you I wasn't bragging. It's so funny. I mean, and again, I want to be clear. To, to break a Lenten discipline is not a sin. Some of you need to hear that. But, uh, but a Lenten discipline is helpful because it reminds us of how powerful sin is and how weak, how very, very weak our flesh is, isn't it? You see, I had, I had been on a conference call with some guys I'm in spiritual accountability with, and I had actually said to them, you know, fasting really isn't very hard for me. I, just, I, just, I can skip meals, no problem. I can skip meals because I just work through lunch and I don't think about food. But it was a whole different deal when I had that pizza presented to me. And I had to ride with it for two hours in the car. Or at least that's what I would have had to do if I had gotten there without eating it. We stopped by the house, and when Jody went to the bathroom, I consumed it. <laughs> just, just, just devoured it because it was right there. Isn't, but isn't that the way it is, even though a Lenten practice is not sin? But, to, but isn't that just the way it is, that, that, that the sins of our lives, the ones that really can take hold of us, they, they, they come at strange times. Eight o'clock in the morning, you know, I, I've got fasting down. But when the pizza's before me, of all things, if she had brought anything else to the car, I would have put it in the trunk and not thought about it. But she did. And I loved it. And it was great. You see, that's just the way sin is. It it. It has a powerful effect on us, which is why we practice disciplines in Lent to remind us not to try to be perfect, not to earn God's 
you know, uh, you know, applause or to think that somehow we are we have the ability in ourselves to overcome sin. They're spiritual disciplines. We deny ourselves these things because we realize how powerful they have an effect on us. Just try riding around 40 days without the radio on or without eating chocolate or without drinking soft drinks or whatever it is that, that you may choose to use. It's a, it's a powerful reminder of how strong the flesh is. Jesus says to his disciples in the garden when he tries to get them to stay awake and pray for an hour, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. Well, this morning, I want to think about with you the the weakness of the flesh, Uh, not to bring us down, although it's lent, but to make us mindful of the power of sin in our lives and the promise of Christ to overcome the sin by looking at that really hard passage that Justin so wonderfully read a little while ago, the second lesson from from Romans chapter 7. Often overlooked, Although, if we're honest, we all go, boy, amen, brother, when we read through what Justin read for us from uh, the 14th through the 22nd verse, 25th verse, you, you see the, the effects of sin in our lives. But you don't get the first part of chapter 7, so let me just encourage you, grab a Bible if they're there. I know that we're, we're running out. People love to steal the Bible and take it home, and that's a great thing. So uh, we're, we've bought more, so they're on their way. Uh, Ken Langland said, we need more Bibles, and so we've ordered more Bibles. But I would just encourage you to, to look at Romans chapter uh, 7 with me today. Romans 5 through 8 is considered by some, some theologian has said, it's the Himalayas of the New Testament, because what Paul writes in his epistle letters is sort of like the, the, the apex of understanding of law and grace of God's ability to overcome the sin of our lives. It is the gospel fleshed out in very practical ways. Um, It starts on um, page, glasses, 942 and 43. 43, actually, is where uh, Romans 7 starts. But what you don't have here is the first part, where Paul basically first says, in the very first verses of Romans chapter 7, he says, look, you're no longer under the law. He uses an example of a woman who's married to a man and the man dies and he says, once once your husband has died, that woman is free to marry whoever she wants. She's no longer under the law of marriage. She's been set free from it. And then he says, just like that, you who are in Christ have been crucified with Christ. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. I've died in Christ and therefore I've been set free from the law. And Paul says, that means that the law no longer has the power to condemn you. You no longer are under the condemnation of the law. You do not have to live a life trying to keep the law of God in perfection that you might please God and be acceptable to him. In Christ, we have died to the law and we've been set free from it. That's what he says in the first couple of verses. You don't have that I mean, you can read it there in chapter 7, but it's before the reading that Justin did. The second thing that Paul says is, what about about the law then? Is the law sin? If I've been set free from it, is it sin? Paul says, no, of course not. The law is good. The law brought condemnation on us because we can't keep it, 
but the law is good. It's just that as we became aware of the law, so sin took opportunity to have us rebel against the law. Just go to the University of Florida on some new building they've built where they've put out seed for grass or they've planted new grass and they put up those signs. What do they say? Do not walk on the grass. And immediately, what is that inner desire in your heart? To walk on that grass. If we say, please enter the sanctuary in silence today in the season of Lent, there's, there's just something on my, my mouth. There's just something I want to say, right, that just has to be spoken. It's that willingness to sort of, to, that desire to be rebellious, to, to rise up in ourselves and to do the very thing that the law has said is not good. Even if we're honest with ourselves, even those who reject God's law and have a law for themselves, this is right, this is what I should do, this is the way I should live my life. If they were honest, there is no one who keeps even our own law. You know, well, this is what a good person should do. Da 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 da. I guarantee you that person cannot even live consistent with their own law, let alone God's law. Paul says the law is good. The law teaches us the righteous acts of God. Living under the law is death because we can't do it. But the law itself is good because it teaches us what sin is. Paul says, I wouldn't have known that coveting was wrong unless the Scripture told me that it was wrong to covet, to to want what somebody else has instead of being content in what God has given me. Do you know that? To to want the life that somebody else has has got and, and not to receive the life that God's given me, that's coveting that's making an idol that's wanting something that God has not given us and it ultimately leads to a lack of satisfaction jealousy maybe even anger bitterness towards that person it's interesting now this is where reading the the decalogue which we did you got to hear the Exodus 20 account of the of the commandments twice today And I thought, you know, it's kind of repetitive. Maybe we should just not do the Decalogue. And I thought, you know what? No, we need to hear the law. I I bet you there are a lot of us that even if we say, okay, right now, Tony, tell me all 10 of the commandments, we'd struggle. Tony wouldn't. He knows them. But but we would struggle to go all 10. I was in seminary, and our professor said, systematic theology professor said, what are the 10 commandments? Not a one of us in the room could give all 10 of the commandments. Our confirmands, those who are going to be confirmed next week, are to know the commandments. They're to know the commandments of God. But where's Bella? She's in Children's Church. Lucky for her. See, see, last week I picked on her, so she's, she's over in Children's Church today. But Katie, who's on Dynamos, and Kim and Nikki, who are on Dynamos, and, and uh, Dave Hall, is, you know, they should know the commandments. They should know the commandments. But Paul says that, we're not under the law. We're not, the law has no power over us to condemn us. So why do, we, why do we read the Decalogue? Why do we look at the Old Testament? Well, because the law, Paul says, is good. The law reveals God's goodness, his character. It shows us the nature of God. It shows us his moral will for our lives. And that is a good thing. Even though we recognize that we have fallen short of that law, it's good to know. Paul says, I wouldn't have known I was coveting 
unless the law told me that it was covenanting. You know, there, there's, I guess there's some, some tribes in uh, South America that for a long time didn't understand that stealing was bad. They thought stealing was okay. Because everybody steals, so you just steal back and forth. I mean, that's sort of the law of my siblings, you know. Growing up, we, you know, we stole everything from each other. But, but we had my mom who was teaching us, no, stealing is wrong. That what belongs to another person is their property. And it's wrong to take it. The law is good. It reminds us. It convicts us. It shows us where we, what, what the nature of God is, what his moral will is for our lives, and what brings life to us. You know, nine of the Ten Commandments are echoed and amplified in the New Testament. Nine out of the ten. The only one that's not amplified is the Sabbath. The others are. Jesus himself, he talks about if you've, if you've looked on a, at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery. If you've had anger in your heart for another person, you've committed murder. It's Jesus echoing and amplifying the commandments says that this is the moral law of God. Now, all the ceremonial law, Jesus does away with, which is why it's silly, these TV programs, you know, living biblically, as if that we as a Christian are supposed to keep all the purity laws of clothing and materials and uh, no buttons and all that stuff. I mean, Jesus clearly teaches that those ceremonial laws have been put aside, but the moral laws of the Old Testament reflect God's goodness, his nature, his character, his moral will for us, what will bring life. It's interesting, the only commandment that doesn't get echoed and amplified in the New Testament is the Sabbath. I feel the weight of all my Baptist ancestry behind me as I say this. So, but it is not a sin to work on the Sabbath. That's what Paul says, that I've died to the law, therefore I'm not. See, some of you are going, ooh, you got, it's a good thing those Bibles are not very heavy and I, I'm pretty quick. So why do, we, why do we practice Sabbath? Well, because by keeping the Sabbath, not as a rule, not as, not as a rule, but as a spiritual practice, allows us to understand the goodness and the nature of God's will for the Sabbath. See, Bill back there, Bill straight just like me, Baptist boy, that's, I'm, I'm treading on thin ice, right? But you see, the Sabbath is not just a rule to make us not work on that day. It's a gift. One of the things I learned on my sabbatical was that we're to work from our rest, not rest from our work. Huge translation in your life if you can work out of your rest rather than resting from your work. See, God rested on the seventh day. He said it was good. It reminds us that, that God is at work in the world always and that when we wake up in the morning, he just has a really short to-do list of things he wants us to accomplish to help him in what he's doing in the world. But most of the work he's doing. The Sabbath reminds us that we're not slaves. We're sons and daughters. We're adopted children of the king. Sabbath is a good thing. The law is good. Why we sing in Psalm 19, the goodness of God's law, it, it, is, it is life to us. But as a system of rules that we have to do perfectly to reach God, it condemns us every time. Now that brings us to the passage you got. 
Jesus says, uh, Jesus, Paul says, he says, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the very things I don't want to do are the very things I do. It sounds like my golf game, Gus. I don't want to hit a slice, and yet that's the very thing I do, right? I want to fade the ball into the green, and instead I shank it off to the left. You know, I, I can't do the things I want to do. Paul says, I see in myself this dual nature, that while the Spirit, that which has been born again, Jesus says, born from above in John 3, that Spirit desires to obey the law of God. But in my members, I see another law at work. The law of my sinful nature, waging war, the two natures, the new man, the old man, the new woman, and the old woman in battle. Paul says, I, it's, it's a realization. Now, I have to tell you that there are some who, who think that this is not Paul talking about himself now, but rather Paul talking about himself before he met Christ. I don't buy that. But you need to know that's out there, and there will probably be Christians who will, who will challenge you if you take this interpretation. Because, first of all, Paul talks... In the first, he talks in the present tense. He he speaks it autobiographically. He, and it's also the experience of Christians. I think the problem is that we read it and we identify with it and we say, well, it must mean that I'm just not really spiritually mature. I I, I think Paul is saying no. For even us who have walked with Christ, and Paul is walking with Christ. He has met Jesus on the road to Damascus. The, the nature of sin within us is still active and present. I love the line in our evening prayer, in our morning prayer service. Uh, we do it on Wednesday night's evening prayer. Lord, apart from you, there is no help in us. Mary does it at the morning prayer service as well. There is no help in us. That sinful nature is there. Now, this is not just talking about our flesh, meaning our body. Please don't think that we're just talking about that the body is bad. Lots of Christians over the centuries have messed that up, and therefore they despise their physical body and somehow thought that they, when, we, when, we're, when we die that our spirit gets freed from this yucky material world and that we then can be pure spirits with God. But Jesus became incarnate. Jesus had a body. He broke bread. He ate with his disciples, he enjoyed this world. He said, behold, I make all things new as he revealed himself to John in the, in the book of Revelation. God is in the process of remaking this material world and our physical bodies will be transformed. We'll have a glorified body as Jesus has. This won't be subject to pain and death and cancer and all the things that come against us in this earthly life, in this fallen world, but our bodies are not bad. When Paul talks about the, the flesh He's talking about our whole nature, our mind, our emotions, our thoughts, our, our will, our, the social context of our lives, the, our soul, which wraps us all together. All of that is subject to its to fallenness. And because of that, there is this war raging within us. We as believers aren't set free from the temptations of sin. Um, we're not condemned by them, but we're not set free from them. And what Paul, I think, really wants to bring us to is the recognition 
that coming to a place of realizing that in my own strength, I have no power over sin in my life. That's the very place that Paul wants us to come to. In my own strength, that's an important phrase. Now, we all struggle with different sins because of the diversity of people in the room. You know, and this is why I can't say, well, here's an example of where I've sinned and, you know, and you know, because for most of you, that would be more of a stumbling block than a help. Because for you, you'd go, well, why is that an issue? I've shared about my anger before. And some of you are like, well, what's that? You know, because that's not a place that you struggle or you have a temptation in. You see, it's not that we're completely depraved. It's not that we, we have no goodness within us at all. It just means that there are places where sin is so powerful in our lives that, that in our own strength, we cannot escape it. I don't know what that might be for you. You might not care about pizza. You may think you're good at fasting. But Scripture says, and Paul is speaking it here in Romans 7, that within ourselves, pleasing God, even desiring that that in our spirit, what we want to to obey God's law, we we have no power to help ourselves. That's the gospel. Now, does that mean we we never uh, grow in our our, our ability to, to, to... fight off temptation and to live a victorious life. I mean, after all, it seems cruel, right? To throw up those commandments and then to say, but you're incapable of keeping them. But here's the commandments, but you're incapable of keeping them. But what does Paul say? Fourth part, the end of the scripture from Romans 7. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? Justin, you did a great job saying that. You know, you did an awesome job. It's the way, great deep voice, just kind of put it out there. Who will deliver me from this body of death? <laughs> that I just, we, we, we have to have Justin Reed, don't we? He just has such a great reading voice. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, think, I think Paul wants to bring us to that point of almost feeling hopeless and crying out, I have no strength in myself to help myself so that we understand the nature of grace. You see, I don't think Billy Graham lived to 99 years old and said, you know what, I have got this sin thing figured out. And I have come to a place where I am no longer tempted to sin. I think Billy Graham died at 99 with an acute awareness of how deep sin goes. Because that's been the experience of every mature, truly mature Christian I've ever met. Now, yes, they don't, they don't still stumble over the, some of the elementary sins that they stumbled over when they were these guys' age. You know, they've, because they've realized, you know, that, that those don't lead to life. Those don't lead to death. You know, stealing, Charlie was little. She took things from the, one time from a grocery store. 
and unfortunately she was with Detective Todd Card of the Alachua County Police Department, and, uh, you know, she learned the lesson that we don't steal. She didn't, you know, but, but sin goes deep. Why is Jesus so fixated on the Pharisees? Because they've, they've overcome a lot of elementary sins, but the sin of spiritual pride, the sin of self-righteousness goes super deep within us. It's not our ability to overcome our sin, but our willingness to recognize our lack of health and desperate need for God's grace. Paul says, who can save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does Jesus say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. To recognize your spiritual poverty is to begin to understand the grace of God in Christ. Now, this can seem like a huge bummer, like, well, great, I'm just a worm and I'm terrible. And No, it, it's, it's that, that I have no power in myself to overcome those sins that will capture my heart and if allowed will destroy me. I have no power of those. But yet by coming to that point and surrendering to Christ and saying it's not my strength, but it's you, Lord, working in me, opens up the grace of our Lord to us in a powerful way. So Christ begins to work in us to overcome sin, but it is never us doing it. It is always Christ doing it in us. That's why, I, 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 Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. The, 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 the gradual we did, David, was so perfect. I'd forgotten about it, even because I knew it, so I kind of skipped over. We were talking about music. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness, that, that's it. Jesus said, he who is forgiven little loves little. He who is forgiven much loves much. He's not saying that some of you don't need a lot of forgiveness. He's saying those of you who are aware of how much forgiveness you need, love more. If you think the cross was no big deal because you were a pretty good guy to begin with, sin goes so deep. But here's the good news. The grace of Christ is greater. You see, Romans isn't to be read 5, then 6, then 7, then 8. It's to be read 5, 6, 7, 8 all together. Because Romans 5, Jesus said, where sin increased, Grace abounded all the more. Romans 5.20 We cannot out the grace of God. We desire not to, to sin because we've been born of the Spirit and yet we know that we will struggle in our flesh with sin for the rest of our lives and so therefore we come before the mercy of grace and we confess our sins and we lay it before Him and we say, Lord, I have no help in myself. And it's at that moment that grace comes running in. Guys, I have lived it. If you want to know specifics, talk to me one-on-one. I'm not going to bear my soul to the rest of you. Because again, it would be a stumbling block for some. But I have lived this. 
The victory I have found over sin in my life has been as I acknowledged that I had no power to overcome that sin in my life. And in so doing, surrendered in that area to Christ. And I've got lots more to go. You know that. But it starts with surrender. So then Paul begins chapter 8. And I'm not going to go through chapter 8. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of sin and death, for the law of Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. Have you ever seen uh, Hercules, uh, a Galaxy 5 take off? It's a Lockheed plane. It's a big cargo plane. It, is, it looks like a bumblebee, okay? It's about as big as this room. It's got little wings and huge engines. And a spiritual mentor in my life, Earl Sandifer, uh, who's from North Carolina like Billy Graham, once said, he said, Alex, that C-5 cargo plane, you've seen it, Bob, I know, is a lot like God's grace overcoming the power of our sin. You see, if you look at a C-5 galaxy, it, it can hold about six Sherman tanks. I mean, this thing is massive, okay? Huge cargo plane. It looks like a bumblebee. It's huge, it's round, and it looks like there is no way in the world it'll ever take off. And if you made a runway that was 10 miles long, it would never get enough speed to get lift off. To, you know, to, I don't know all the physics, but you know, to, to get landed. But here's what happens with a C5. Big and bulky. It shouldn't fly, but it starts down, creeping down the runway, and then about you know, three seconds, it goes, and just takes off like that because of the thrust. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. But here's how we enter into the law of grace in Christ Jesus. We come and we confess and we acknowledge our need. And yes, we, we fixate on sin for 40 days in Lent. We do so because it's so easy to become impressed with our righteousness. Just like me and that pizza. In Christ, we have been set free from the law of sin and death. Not because of ourselves, but because of him doing us. Go home, Google C5 Galaxy. And let the Lord speak to you about his power to overcome the sin in your life as you surrender it to him. Let's pray. Lord, the psalmist was delighting in the law, aware of their own sinfulness. And they cry out, Lord, may the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord. We... We thank you for bringing us back to the grace. Lord, we, we want to be those who love much because we know how great your love is because we are willing to go there and acknowledge this needfulness of our lives. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to be poor in spirit that we might know all the riches of eternity. 
And we thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen.